0: Okay, so let me just explain a little bit. My name's um, Ollie. Um, I'm part of the leadership team at King's across the three sites. Um, I head up, me and Wendy, we head up um, Centro, which is King's site in the heart of Eastbourne town centre. We meet in the the Hippodrome Theatre. So we meet there each and every week. So that's normally where I am. I'm normally there each and every Sunday. And yeah, obviously it's really nice for a week to be able to come over here instead. So I've left my team just getting on with it at the Hippodrome, which is great. Um, But yeah, to be here with you, I've obviously been around the church for 14 years now. Actually, is it 14? God, it's 14 years. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I've kind of seen Seaford's journey and been here from the beginning. So it's really nice to join with you. And I just love that time of worship. It was so good. I think while I was sitting there, I was just struck the whole time thinking it is ridiculous that God sees me as one that is worthy of winning, one of purchasing. And my voice is terrible. Like if you stood anywhere near me, I'm so sorry because I sing quite loud. Wendy always says you sing quite loud, and I haven't got the best voice in the world. But as I sing, I think how is it that God is hearing a beautiful sound that is coming out of my voice? Um, but He does, and He take something that I just, I just know that all that I give is very little and insignificant and yet God turns it into something beautiful and something worthy of praise and he loves it and it's a trophy. It's better than this pile of plastic that sits at the front. Well done on winning it by the way. Um, but yeah, God sees us as trophies that are worth winning and purchasing and fighting and dying for and that's amazing. What an amazing truth. Um, okay, so we're, we're going to start um, kind of a new series this morning. Um, if you've just been around the church for a little while, we try and chunk our teaching blocks together into little mini series, I guess. Um, A bit like, hey, the West Wing's there, and you've got little series that are there, and you're going to have 12 weeks, whatever. We're going to do a little mini one on Citizens thing. And so we looked at it, I think it was last year, and Citizens was basically a series where it said, hey, here are some um, maybe contentious issues, maybe some things that we have to think through, and we're going to look at them as Christians and say, how do we engage with these issues understanding that we're citizens of this country, um, but that we're not just citizens of this place, we're actually citizens of heaven, that there's something of us as Christians that makes us very different from everyone else that we engage with and that we spend time with. And so how do we do that? How do we engage with culturally relevant issues, but from a Christian perspective? And so we're going to be looking over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the European Referendum, It's going to be fun. Um, Yeah, Andrew's taking that one, which I'm quite glad about. Um, And we're going to look at issues of transgender, and we're going to look at things of sexuality, and we're going to look at poverty, and we're going to look at a whole breadth of issues over the next few weeks. I would suggest it's the sort of series to invite people along to. Um, I know the last time that we ran it, um, some of my friends that I was working with, we used to have discussions in the car. I used to give them little links to the talks, they'd listen to it. People are genuinely interested in what Christians have got to say on these issues and sometimes they're interested just because they want to try something controversial and they want to just argue with you and I'm like that's all right I'm big enough and God's big enough ultimately to deal with some people's questions and some people's interest and so I put it out there it's great for us to think them through as Christians but we want to engage with the wider community on some of these things as well so that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks um We're going to start today, and I guess I've got roped in, um, because we're going to start today looking at the issue and the topic of education. And what does education look like? And how can we engage with education as Christians? And ultimately, where I want to lead us to at the end, really, is to say, how can we pray for our kids, for our schools, the education system within this country? Um, And how do we have a a care and a burden for it? Not just saying it's something that someone else does, but to all realize that we have a corporate responsibility as the people of God to ensure that our children are prepared for the world they're going to live in. They might not be your kids. They might be someone else's kids. But actually, how do we ensure that children that children grow up and that they see a world in which God exists and that God is at the heartbeat of? And how as Christians can we engage with that and how can we pray for it? You see, I've never left the education system. Um, I, I know some people say, I'm trying to, I don't know, try and look a bit older. I'm trying to put on weight at the moment and all these things to look a bit older. I'm hoping that my hair will go gray at some point. And because people have always thought that I'm really young, they always look at me and think, you're just such a kid. I look like a boy. I think if you saw my wedding photographs from 10 years ago, I look like a 14-year-old. I look like I'd literally been snatched from school and married at 14 years old. Um, And so I'm trying to look that little bit older as you go through. And actually, I've never, ever left school, really. So I went to school until I was 18 years old. I went to college. And then I, took, I did actually take one year gap. So I went away for a year. Then I went back to university. So I went back into the education system. I walked out of university after four years. And then I got into teaching. And I was a P teacher in Crowborough for eight years. Um, and now I'm... Crazy enough, I'm actually um, part of the leadership team at a primary school in Eastbourne. So I don't really teach anymore. I kind of got a management role at a school, Um, but I've been in and around school. I feel like I've never left. I love summer holidays. I'm really sorry if you don't get summer holidays. It's amazing. It's great. (laughs) Six weeks in the summer. If you're a teacher, you know how good it is. Um, One of the real bonuses of being in the education system. Um, But yeah, I've been asked today to talk about education, maybe to consider, um, guess some of the, the things that happen in our schools, and really I want to appeal to us to say do you know what don't just leave it to the teachers in this room to care about education actually we all have a responsibility for preparing our children for the world they're going to live in Um, if you would sort teachers actually let's do it i've got a straw poll here one two three four five I've got five things that I think like, come up in schools a lot. Who here is involved in school life in some way? Maybe you're a governor at a school, you're a teacher at a school, you're a TA, you work in kitchen, wherever you might. Okay, so people, ed- universities, look at all these people that are involved in education in some way, means, or form. Anyone, give me some hot topics that come up at the moment in education. Who wants to give us some hot topics? We're not going to answer them. We don't worry, it's not question time. just want some things you're going to chuck out. Ah, oh, forced academisation. That was big in the news the other day. Um, so the idea they're trying to privatise education and trying to make every single school, whether it's prime school or whether it's tiny schools with only nine children in it, no longer part of county councils and they have to instead be part of big academy chains and they get privately funded by, I don't know, entrepreneurs or some sort of businesses that are involved. And so academisation, trying to force schools into that, definitely a massive issue that's in school at the moment. Anything else? Yeah, so like looking at the way, SEM provision. So my job specifically, actually, alongside SEM, I look at children from disadvantaged backgrounds, from poor backgrounds. And the idea is that the government basically says, let's give schools extra money for kids that are from poorer backgrounds and try and make sure that we can narrow the gap so that it's not just children that are massively affluent that do well and get highly successful jobs. Actually, it's the statistics that show that kids sometimes from these pupil premium backgrounds, like free school meals that are involved and stuff, they end up being about four times more likely to go to prison than they are to go to university. And so statistics like that, the government says, let's chuck money at schools, because money's going to try and help and make sure these kids get life opportunities that other kids from more affluent backgrounds get. So another big thing that kind of crops up. Anything else that appears? Tuition fees fees at university, yeah. Again, kind of that fits, I think, into the privatisation of education. People have got to pay, you've got to be affluent in order to afford education, to be able to get into a, a good school, or a good college, or a good university. You've got to pay the right money to be able to do it. And it'll make it harder and harder for people, maybe, to be able to access that level of education. Yeah, assessment, massive at the moment. Standardised, national standardisation of scores. And saying, hey, it's not about having all these levels and grades anymore. We're in a world without levels, if you've heard that. And so we're trying to say, actually, what are national standards? We want kids to get to these national standards. We want every kid, by the time they get to the end of school, to be this good at English and this good at maths. It's basically the focus. As long as you're good at English and maths, don't worry about anything else. Because they're going to be the thing that's going to carry you through life. Um, You could have other things that are there. British values. It is crazy how much emphasis is now placed on British values in school. We have to talk about British values. We have to put posters up around school of British values. How do you become British? How are you British? What does it mean to be British? We have to talk about democracy and, and um, what some other things that are in there? Um, can't even remember. There's five of them. I'm clearly not British enough because I don't know the British values. But it's trying to hammer that into our children and say, what does it mean to look like a young Brit growing up in this country? And actually... I love school and it's got all its faults and failures and things that frustrate us and you sit in a staff room for 10 minutes and you hear how annoying schools going to be for people. But ultimately the reason I love it is because it gives us an opportunity to engage with kids and to prepare them. This is a phrase I want to keep coming back to, preparing them for a world they're going to live in. It's a chance to get alongside young minds, inquisitive minds. And, and shaping them and, and affecting them and preparing them for a big, wide world they're going to live in and function in and grow up in. And actually, if we just hand that over to the state and say, hey, it's your job. You just get on with educating kids. Don't worry about it. Actually, we're missing out on a huge opportunity to affect and influence our children. You see, education isn't just something that happens in schools. Actually, this morning, we were educating Children. We were actually educating each other in the way that we sing, the way that we contribute, the way we bring words, the way we talk about the prophetic in our meetings, the way that we say, hey, God's just gonna show up here. Part of that is educating, it's teaching people, it's saying, look, God can do things. It's more than just getting facts into my head. It's about learning about the way that I can live, what I can expect, that God might actually be alive, that God is real, and that Jesus is alive and that He can change lives. And actually everything that we do is continuously educating those that are around us. Kids are sponges. If you spend any time with kids, they're continuously drawing in information. They're being taught by the way that they see things, by the people that they see sitting on the bus next to them, by the stadiums that they end up in. I took my little boy to a football game for the other day. He was educated at a football game, believe me. Um, And when he was there, and all of it is teaching him and learning things as he is there. As John's playing his guitar and his boys are standing next to him, they're being educated and taught something of God. And church is a great way doing that, but it's not just for this room that we as Christians have got a responsibility to educate children. So we've got a responsibility to educate children within the wider society that we find ourselves in, whether it's in schools, whether it's in our streets, our neighbourhoods, our roads, our shops, wherever we find ourselves, we can educate those that are around us. Um, I want to start off by telling you my favourite three stories from school. So I've got three really good stories, and I love them, and it's partly why I love school. So Number one story, this is up there, like one of the best stories ever. And so I went skiing with a bunch of kids, taking them on the ski slopes, and I got a little boy called Herbie. And Herbie already sounds like a legend, doesn't he? Like, If you've got a name, Herbie, you know you've got to be a bit of a legend. Um, And basically, he was a little bit like an Ewok. Like, if you've seen Star Wars, he used to wear this little furry hat in the winter, and he was really short, and he used to run around school with a bag bigger than him, and he'd, like, run around, and all the kids would pick him up. He was like a little school mascot that would be there. And so I take him on a school ski trip, and basically, he's 14 years old, but he's probably about this tall, and say. Well done. What reactions? God, you can tell you're a dad with kids, with boys, can't you? That good at reacting. Um, And so, yeah, so I take Herbie skiing and everyone else, all the other kids are skiing on the slopes, they're shooting all around, and Herbie's too small to ski with everyone else. And the instructors basically say he's got to ski with the kindergarten. So he's got to ski with five six-year-olds and he's 14 years old. And so he had to go inside a hoop and the ski instructor would ski holding this hoop, and Herbie would just stand there. Herbie loved it. Like, don't pity him. He loved it. He was like a celebrity down the slopes. like, look at me. I'm with all these kids down here. He loved it. But it meant that basically everyone else stayed out skiing until 4 o'clock in the evening. Herbie was finished by 2 o'clock because all the young kids, they have a short session. So we as teachers took it in turns to spend the evening with him between two and four until everyone else got back. So I go to the hotel with him. I'm sat there. I buy him a portion of chips, and he loves mayonnaise. So he's literally got more mayonnaise than chips, and he's eating away. And he basically says, Mr. Stevens, can we play I Spy? And I was like, okay, strange. I wasn't expecting that with a 14-year-old, but fine, let's play I Spy. And so he stands there, and he goes, right, I spy with my little eye something beginning with P. And I'm looking around, and like, plate. No, not plate. Um, post. No, not post. Um, pot. No, not pot. And I'm going on for ages, like literally up to two, three minutes playing now. I'm thinking I'm running out of peas, and I was like, "Herbie, I don't have a clue what you're talking." About. And he looks at me and he points up to so there's all these stuffed animals on the shelf up above it. It's like an Austrian ski lodge. It's all these animals they've hunted. Sorry if you don't like that, um, but they've stuffed them all around the top. And he points up to one of them and he goes, "Look, it's a panda." there's a badger that has been stuffed <laughs> in the top. But because it's black and white, Herbie presumes that this animal is a mini panda that's there. And I remember getting down, I was like, Herbie, this is not a panda. He was like, it's black and white, of course it's a panda. And I was like, oh gosh, okay, this is what we're working with. So number one story, Herbie's eye spy, incredible. Um, second one, so PE teacher for a long period of time and I took, especially year seven boys was a nightmare taking them to play cricket um, because basically never really played cricket before. were not a massively posh school, so they didn't have whites, didn't have the proper equipment, they just have to borrow what they could. So I've got a boy, Will, really natural sportsman, really good hand-eye coordination, but does not have a clue how to play cricket and I thought, It doesn't matter, It's part of the football team, he'll be good at playing, let's just get him along. So he turns out, he comes out to bat, and I'm umpiring in the middle. I can't get him all ready, but they're having a, they're just being a nightmare. They're running up and down the sides, and I'm like, Will, you're into bat, come on, come over. And so he runs over, and he's got the cricket box. If any of you know, so the box is a bit meant to protect... Yeah, the important bits for a man. And so he's got this box and he's holding it and he's like, what's this? What am I meant to do with it? I'm like, it's there. You've got got to wear it so that if the ball hits you there, you're protected. And he's like, okay. So he puts it in. And he comes out to bat and his pads are too high and he's like coming, he can't even walk properly. And the box drops out his trouser legs because he's got, he's got boxes on. So all of a sudden, now, every time he runs, the box drops down his legs and he's kicking this box around the floor. And I thought, right, so this is a little trick of the trade. If you ever find yourself with year seven boys, what you have to do is, I said, right, take your sock off. So he takes his sock off. Okay, now... Tuck it, put the box inside the sock. Okay, he's done that. And then he had to put it inside his trousers and tuck the sock over the front because then it works like a little, it like, holds it there. And so now he's running around playing cricket with a sock hanging out the front of him. <laughs> oh, it was just hilarious. He ended up actually being our top scorer for the game. <laughs> and all these other boys, it was quite a posh school we were playing against, were like shocks. This boy running around doesn't even know how to put equipment on. Again, very, very good story. Um, final one that I'll tell you, and maybe one that maybe shows that I'm not just shallow and interested in funny stories, um, but a boy, 16 years old, um, he wants to go to prom. He's been saving up for ages to go to prom, but to be honest, just couldn't. like Couldn't afford a suit, couldn't afford anything that was there. And so I'd started to befriend him, chatting a little bit. And basically found out, that while I looked at it, I kind of thought, you're about a similar size to me. So I ended up bringing in one of my old suits for him to wear to prom. And the day when I gave it to him, he didn't know, so it was the morning of prom. He was kind of thinking he was just going to have to go in, in school uniform bits of there. He was going to just adjust these trousers and wear his school blazer, but try and change it and wear a different tie. And I gave him this suit before the morning of prom, and you should have seen his face. He looked at me, he was like, thank you so much. And he looked so good at it, he kept that suit. And he just, it was this little pinstripe suit that was there. It was amazing just seeing this little 16-year-old lad just so grateful for the fact that he had something that he could wear and the fun that he had. I saw photos of him throughout the evening of him just parting away for the whole evening, enjoying being a 16-year-old boy, celebrating the end of his exams. And just to feel an opportunity to be part of that and contribute into that is massive. And actually, if you're involved in schools, you'll have your own stories like that. School's an amazing place, full of stories, full of life change that you can see. It's it's one of the most exciting places, I think, you can find yourself working. Um, And to be honest, that's why I love education. I love the school system that we find ourselves in because the opportunities it gives us to spend time with young people. Um, And ultimately, in all of it, the big thing that I've found is that people always say, yeah, but as a Christian, you can't really act out your faith there. I think that's a load of rubbish. I get to demonstrate the fact that I'm born again, that I can put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour every single day. The way that I approach the lessons that I teach, the way that I, the way that I tell children off sometimes, the way that I have to discipline them, the way that I forgive them in the things that happen, in the way that I build friendships together, all of that can demonstrate and model something of the kingdom of God. And I love it. I think what an opportunity I have to influence and shape and change children's lives. And again, I say that is not the exclusive role of teachers within in schools. We all have that opportunity. The way that you shop down in, what is it here? Morrisons. The way that you shop in Morrisons. The way that you walk down the street. The way that you throw the ball back over the fence to the little kid next door. You can teach and educate them something of the kingdom of God in the way that you do those things. You see, and you're, you're, I guess you'll pick this up. To be honest, I couldn't really care less about PE. I couldn't really care less about maths and English. I think they're great things. But for me, education is not just about memorizing facts. I don't want kids to come out of school just having a whole bundle of facts they've crammed into their heads. I want them to instead have their minds open to question and inquire and create and find beauty in the things they find around them. Because actually in doing that, it's a chance to help them explore the big question, why? How annoying is that question, why, from kids? It is one of the most annoying questions in the world. When kids are like, why? But why? But why? Why have we got to do this? Why have we got to go there? Why have we got to go to this? Why is that happening? Why is he saying that? Why is this going on? Why, why, why the whole time? And it can be an annoying question, but actually I love it as a question because it creates inquiry. And actually how many of us here are Christians because you at some point ask the question, why? Why am I here? Why is this happening? Why are they suffering? Why are they still happy? Why are they still trusting in God? Why is one of the best questions that leads us towards God. Because when we start to question, rather than just saying, okay, I'll accept everything that I hear. As you start to question and inquire and discover, God reveals himself. I want kids to ask the question why. I want them to inquire. I want them to explore the world they're going to live in. I want them continuously to be saying, why? What's this about? Why is that happening? Because you know what? I know that God provides answers. It's true, isn't it? God provides the answers to so many of those why questions. So I want kids to be safe and confident to ask those questions why, because ultimately I believe it will lead them to God. The more they inquire, the more they ask, the closer they're going to find themselves to God. See, that's why I've ended up doing it a bit through. I've taught a bit of PE in my time. I've taught a bit of science. I've taught a bit of maths. I've ended up all over the place. I don't really care where I am in school. As long as it's a chance to spend time with children and encourage them to ask those questions and discover and find beauty in the world around them, then actually that's the opportunity to prepare them for a world that they're going to live in. Right, I just, I'm just going to scatter in a few verses here. We haven't got them on the slides behind because they're quite short. Um, but just a few verses that I think can help think through this idea of how we educate our children. So number one would be, Paul writes a letter. And so Paul, writer of a lot of the New Testament, incredible uh, kind of salvation story where he just powerfully encounters and meets with God, writes this letter to the church in Ephesus um, in Turkey. And as he writes them, it's Ephesians 6 verse 4. And he's writing in this whole passage about how slaves and masters should relate to each other, how wives and husbands should relate to each other, and how parents and children should relate to each other. And Paul says to them this... Do not provoke your children to anger, Ephesians 6 verse 4, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul's trying to say to, to, I guess, parents predominantly, but I think actually we can say it to us as a wider audience as well. Actually for us, this is really trying to get me, isn't it? I'll hold it there. Um, Yeah, Paul's trying to say to them as a wider thing, look, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't stir them up just to be angry and wind them up. But instead, bring them up in not just discipline. So often, I guess as adults, we often feel like our main primary purpose is the discipline, to teach right or wrong. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Don't do that. Stop that don't go there, don't touch this, don't do that, do that, that's good, that's bad, don't do this. That is what parenting or talking to kids a lot of the time feels like. And you can feel like your world is stuck in discipline, discipline, discipline. Actually, Paul goes further than just discipline. He says, instruct them in the ways of the Lord. There's something more than, than discipline there. The word that he uses is podiah. And that podiatra of instruction is more than just disciplining them. It's teaching our children what is good, what is beautiful. Not just what's right or wrong, but how God's knit things together, how God's made things. And do you know what? Every opportunity you find yourselves with children is a, is a chance to instruct them and teach them and educate them. Actually, this morning as they're sitting here, we can teach and instruct and educate as they're sat amongst us. Like I said, while you're you're down the shops in Morrisons, while you're walking in the park, while you're walking your dog, all of those things, wherever you find yourself, provide you an opportunity, not just for right or wrong, do this, don't do that, but to instruct them and teach them what is good and true and beautiful about the world that God created and that we find ourselves in. You see, that's why I believe that education is so much more than just learning facts, learning two plus two is four, learning my times table, learning what crazy spelling tests they have to do now at five years old and try and learn how to spell stuff. I think it's crazy. It's more than just the facts that we learn. It's about the people that we are, the people that God's created us to be. See, every opportunity provides us that, op- that, that uh, chance for instruction. See, God's people got this from the very beginning. So Moses goes up onto the mount and receives the Ten Commandments from God. And when he comes back down, he starts talking to them. So in Deuteronomy 6, I'm just going to read a little bit that appears in there. And when Moses comes back down, he realizes that actually... I don't just want to teach them the Ten Commandments. I want them to learn it. I want them to know it. I want them to love God's law. And he sees an opportunity for an instruction that provides that. Because he sees that God's people, and it's always been the instruction on God's people, to prepare their children and to prepare children for the world they're going to live in, the world that they are living in, the world in which God exists and God is alive, and that God loves them and cares for them and knows them and created them. And so... This is what it says, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, God's people, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God, there's one true God. There's not loads of God, there's not many gods. There is one true God who knows us and loves us and cares for us. And with that one true God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, love him with all your soul, and with all your might. So Moses is trying to instruct his people and saying this to them. And then he says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Don't just let them be rules that you see you put up on a shelf. Let them be something that you care for and love and enjoy and find pleasure in following God's, God's commands towards us because they're good for us and they glorify him. And then what do we do with them? Teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. When you sit in your house, when you're watching telly, I'm having to watch terrible kids' cartoons continuously at the moment. But when you're sat watching kids' cartoons, when you're sat in your house, teach your kids, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. When you're sat in the garden in a lovely sunny day around your kids, again, it's another opportunity to instruct them in the beauty of the world they find themselves in. The fact there is one true God, one God who loves them and cares for them. When you walk by the way, when you're wandering down the street, when you walk on your journey to school, when you're walking home from school, when you're commuting up into the city as you're walking along, uh, as you lie down, as you get ready to go to sleep at night, every evening with your kids as they're laying there, you can say to them, God loves you and he cares for you. God loves you when you're good. He loves you when you're naughty. He loves you all the time. You can be praying for them, instructing them, teaching them beauty of the world they find themselves in. When you wake up in the morning, when you're, I'm terrible at this, when you wake up in the morning and you go downstairs and you're eating your breakfast, and you get up and you say, first thing in the morning, use it as an opportunity to instruct our children and teach them. Our grandchildren, our neighbor's kids, our best friend's kids, our nieces, our nephews, the children that we find ourselves in. Moses is trying to say, look, come on. Our children, diligently do it. Don't just trust it's going to happen. Don't just leave it to, oh, okay, hopefully they'll learn something as we go along here. Use every opportunity we find ourselves in to teach our children diligently of the ways of the Lord. And what you're going to do, you're going to bind them as a sign in your hand. See, still today, with all the technology in the world, if I want to remember something, if you said to me today, can you make sure this happens, I'll write on my hand. I promise you, that's where it still goes. It goes there. Because my phone, I forget to look at it. My iPad, I won't pick it up. Bits of papers, I'll lose. My hand, it's there. i put it on there. Bind it on your hands. Get it so you see it continuously. Using every opportunity to instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. And put it as frontlets between your eyes. Something right before you that you're not going to avoid and look away from. It's right there continuously being instructed in the ways of the Lord. Write them on your doorposts of your house. Write them on your gateposts. See, Moses is saying to his to, to God's people, come on, let's diligently teach these laws, these commands, these truths of who God is to our children. Let's make sure that it doesn't just stay with this generation here now, that it passes from generation to generation to generation. And we as as a as the people of God still have that corporate responsibility. We still have the responsibility today to pass on the good news of the gospel of who God is, of how God loves us and cares for us to the next generation. We have that responsibility. It hasn't finished now. It's still on us to be preparing children for the world they're going to live in. You see, children are being continuously educated. Whether you like it or not, they're continuously being educated. And I guess this is where you might might kind of hit a bit of a a conflict, I guess, in this. Because you might say, well, kids are being continuously educated, therefore we need to protect them from what they are being educated. And some people's opinions on this may be to say, therefore, kids are continuously being educated, they're continuously being shaped by a worldview, they're continuously being told about the world they're going to live in, and actually we need to protect them from sometimes the things they hear. And I think there's real wise parenting, educating in that, to say, come on, let's make sure that they're not just listening to every single bit of rubbish that's out there there's a lot of rubbish out there isn't there There's a lot of stuff that's out there and you think i don't need my kids to be hearing this or knowing this i've been playing football a lot recently and people's language while well, they i think i can protect my kids from certain things but the danger is is that so often i guess sometimes what the church has done and the church of education said right Let's protect our Christian kids. Let's put the fences around them. Let's make sure that they only hear these Christian voices in what's happening, and we'll protect them. We'll make sure that maybe that's the only voice they're, they're hearing, and they're not going to hear the outside world, because the outside world is talking rubbish and lies. So they don't want them to hear it, and we might, we'll just pen them in here. That's a way that you can react to some of that. And you can think, well, okay, our kids are being continuously educated. Let's make sure the one voice they hear is our voices, our Christian voices that are there. I think the danger of it is, is that as much as you might try and that, stuff will get in there all the time. You can filter so much, but ultimately things will be getting in. I think it's amazing when we sit, my little six-year-old or five-year-old at home, and the things he picks up and the things that he says, you know, realize you you're just continuously picking up information that's there. And information will be filtered and that goes through. And so my, my kind of provocation to us as the church would be to say, John, what, you can't filter everything. You can't. You can't filter everything that our kids are going to hear. But therefore, what we need to do is we need to listen to what they're hearing and we need to talk them through and not say, okay, let's shut your ears to everything. say, like, Okay, let's talk about that. Let's work it out together. Come on. It's good to ask those questions. It's good to ask why. It's good to be challenged. Why has that person got a mummy and a mummy? What's going on there? Talk about it. Not just shy away from it and say, oh, school will talk to you about that at some point. But now, as Christians, feeling a responsibility to talk to our kids and to teach them through the things they're hearing, things they're being taught, the things they're learning about the world they're around. Because the scariest thing is the thing that I really don't want. Maybe it's just for my own kids. But the thing that I don't want is for our children is just to believe that God's, and that Christianity is just something that is a tag-on to the worldview, to the education they're receiving. I don't want them just to hear exclusively, this is what the world looks like, and we'll try and tag on some Christian beliefs onto the side of it. Because ultimately, like a little like, limpet that's just stuck on the side, if Christianity is just something that is stuck on the side of everything, then ultimately it just falls off. I don't need that. That's all right. It's just a, just a tag-on. It's just a bolt-on to my package that I've got there. It's just my, my kind of add-ons that I want for the bundle that I've currently got. Instead, what I would say is try and fill everything through a Christian lens. Try and say, come on, let's talk this through. Let's read it in light of the gospel. Let's read it in light of God's word. Let's read it in light of his instruction, his commandments. Actually, as we do that, as we start to talk it through, Christianity doesn't just become something that is bolted on the side, but it becomes something that is part of the core people start to see as they're taught and educated in all different aspects of school, as he starts to see the truth of the gospel from within it. Yeah, You see, I guess the biggest danger is that so often with something like education, it can just be seen as as a void that gets left. And I hear it a lot, and maybe it isn't true amongst us, but I hear it all the time. Oh, I don't know anything about that. Ask your teacher. I don't know anything about that. I'm terrible at maths. I don't have a clue about it. I don't remember that from science. I don't know what you're talking about. Talk to someone else about it. Continuously, parents just or or adults just abstaining responsibility from talking things through with their children. And I say, no, don't abstain responsibility for education. Don't abstain responsibility for preparing children for the world they're going to live in. Say, come on, I want to know all the answers. I promise you, genuinely, if you want someone who doesn't know the answers, you are looking at someone right here. I am nowhere near being bright and intelligent enough to know all the answers to everything. Actually, I don't have a clue half the time. But it doesn't matter. I want to talk it through them. I want to try and help them work it out. Actually, if I can do that through a Christian lens and a Christian filter, I believe that's going to prepare them for a world in which God exists and God's alive and God's true and God's real and that he cares for us and loves us and knows us. And so I want to take that responsibility seriously, not just leave it to someone else, not just bury my head in the sand and let others get on with educating our children, but instead feel the responsibility ourselves to be doing that. See, we need to be, like, like Moses said, teaching diligently our kids to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. We need to be instructing them faithfully. Every opportunity we find ourselves in, saying, hey, here's another opportunity to faithfully instruct them and say, this is the way you can live. I've got a big thing at the moment. I'm in year five with a bunch of boys who are an absolute nightmare at the moment in year five. They're arguing with each other. They're fighting with each other. They're falling out over football continuously. And I look at it and I think, okay, I could just try and teach them how to build friendships. But actually, I want to teach them how to build godly friendships. They might not realize that. I'm not going to explicitly say, hey, I'm going to teach you here. This is an opportunity for me to teach something about the gospel. And I'm a Christian teacher, and I'm going to make sure I can teach something about that. But as I teach them to say sorry and to forgive and to not to hold grudges. I believe that in doing that, I'm demonstrating something of the gospel. In a, in a silly little, they call it like PSHE, like friendship lessons that are going on. In that silly little friendship lesson, I'm thinking, I'm going to take this opportunity to instruct them and faithfully and diligently show them a way in which they can live as Christians, a way in which they can live in a world that God exists. And God isn't just a bolt on, but God is at the core of all we believe and all that's around us. Do you know what? It's not just our Christian kids that are blessed as a result of Christians stepping up and educating our children. Society is blessed when Christians act, when Christians teach, when Christians educate. Society is blessed as a result of it. I promise you it is true. If the people in this room are all taking on the corporate responsibility of preparing the children around them for the world they're going to live in, society is blessed as a result of it. So many of the universities in this country started because a bunch of Christians said, come on, let's gather together. Let's think through these big, wide issues. Let's take issues from sociology, and let's take issues from the arts and the classics and literature and maths and science and physics, and let's bring all these things together. And let's think about it as Christians and build them on earth to gather and gain more of an understanding of who God is. And actually that's how, how university started. That idea of one song uniting together to give glory and, and discover more of who God is. And so often now, education just gets fragmented into you learn that little bit here and you specialize in that area and you specialize in that area. She the best education is when we gather information together, when we pull all these voices, all these noises, all these instruments together and we're unifying one song of declaring that God is good. There is one Lord. There is one God. And we should love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and all our strength. That's when education is at its absolute best. Proverbs 22, verse 6, says this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's true. If you teach children, if you instruct them faithfully, if you teach them the ways of the Lord. And as they grow and they develop, they might wander off and meander. They might go and discover their own things and go on their own little journey somewhere. They might go on their trips to Malaysia or Bali or whatever they want to do and go on their little journeys of self-discovery that's there. But ultimately, if you instruct children in the ways of the Lord, there's something that's like a plumb line that will be put into them. And at some point, they'll return to it and they'll see it and they'll say, Do you know what? I remember those truths. I remember that instruction that was given to me as a kid. I remember what was modeled to me by my church. I remember it from my church as a kid, not just from my parents. I remember it from youth workers and youth leaders and older kids that were in the, in the youth work that were there. I remember it from people that would preach or lead stuff from the front. I remember it from a Christian teacher. A Christian teacher was a maths teacher when I was doing my A-levels. And he said to me, Ollie, you're not worshipping God in the way that he knew I was a Christian. So otherwise that would be really weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> he said to me, I know you're not worshipping God in the way that you're doing your maths a level." And I was like, okay. He said, you're brighter than this. You're failing your maths A-level because you're not trying hard enough. And that's not worshipping God. That's not giving God the credit that he deserves for the, ed- for the brain that he's given you for this maths A-level. And actually, I remember that. That, struck, that stuck with me. Because train a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he won't depart from it. When you hear truth, when you're educated in truth, it sticks with you, it stays by you. Memories from childhood last through the rest of your lives. Don't give up those vital years of forming and preparing them for the world they're going to live in. Because if we miss it, it's gone. Actually, we have an opportunity in which to do that. See, I'd say this as well. We might often feel that a Christian worldview is being silenced. We might feel that actually people don't want to hear what Christians have got to say to stuff anymore. I think that's funny. I think that's really funny that people would say, "We're it's being silenced, it's being silenced out." If you've ever tried to silence thunder, it's not going to happen. Thunder, when it erupts, it can be heard. You might have a lot of other noise that's going on. You might have a lot of things that are distracting you from it. But ultimately, you hear the noise of thunder. You can't help it. The truth of who God is, the truth of His commandments, the truth of His gospel—it can't be silenced. You could have people try and make all their own noise. Anyone can make as much noise. I promise you it's not going to be anywhere near close to the truth of the gospel that resounds like thunder and shouts across and will be heard from generation to generation. As much as you might say the Christian worldview is being silenced and snuffed out and people don't want that within our education system, I laugh because I say, do you know what? God's truth of who he is and what he's done will be heard and will resound as Christian, as Christian men and women like us in this room, act as we teach, as we care for our kids, as we're preparing for the world we're going to live in. It won't be silenced. It will be heard. It will be a noise that will rumble on. People might say, we don't want you talking on this issue. We don't want to hear what Christians have to say about that. Fine, you can say that all you want. I know that God's declaration of who he is, if I'm not saying it, those trees out there will be shouting it. The mountains down the road will be shouting it. The stones will rise up and start shouting it as well. I can throw my lot into shouting out and declaring the one song of who God is and what God has done. See, it's a mighty truth that will never be silenced. I actually want us to finish the day by doing... It's a bit of a strange thing. I I didn't check it with Jez, but that's all right, I'm sure. Um, I actually want us to pray for our kids And so I don't know if someone could just go grab our kids' work. I don't know what time it is. Yeah, it's about now. Perfect. Um, But when they come back in, I'd love us just to get so families to be together and actually just pray for our children here and now and to pray for them and pray for the world they're going to live in and say we want to teach them and instruct them faithfully. We want to model to them something that is good and true of the gospel that we know to be true. We want them to model to them something of the God who loves us and cares for us in the way that we teach, in the way that we act, in the way that we walk, in the way that we work, in all those things. So it will be great to be able to do that and pray for them. Um, I guess they'll be back up on their way in a second. Why don't you talk amongst yourselves for a few seconds, and when they're here, I'd love to just lead us in prayer and then to pray for some of our families and kids. Is that okay? Good. I'd just love us just to pray just quickly as we finish our meeting, to pray for our kids to pray that God will meet with them at a young age, to pray those Proverbs 22 verses, that they learn things from a young age and that when they're old, they won't depart from it. That would be a really, really good thing. Why don't we just stand together rather than kind of passive sitting? That would be good. Yeah, God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you continuously are teaching me. God, I want to thank you that ultimately I, I learn from you God, I want to thank you that you are kind towards us. God, I want to thank you that you love us when we're good. You love us when we're naughty, God. You love us all of the time. And God, I thank you that you love our children. God, I thank you for the blessing that they are. God, I thank you that children are a gift from God. God, I thank you that we are not entitled to them. They're not something that we just deserve as a divine right. God, I thank you that our kids are a gift from you. God, I thank you that you've entrusted us with these young lives. And God, I thank you for them. God, I pray that they will be blessed by being brought up in this church. God, I thank you for the men and women in this church, and I pray that they would care for their own children here. God, I pray they would use every opportunity to diligently teach their children the ways of the Lord. God, I pray it will be written on their doorposts. God, I pray it will be written on their gates. God, I pray it will be written on their hearts. God, I pray they talk about you as they walk on their way to school. God, they talk about you as they sit down and watch telly. God, I pray that we talk about you as we wander through Morrisons. God, I pray that we talk and instruct about you as we sit having our cereal in the morning as we go to sleep at night. God, as we walk by the way, God, every opportunity that we find ourselves in, let us talk about you, of your goodness and grace. God, let you, let the gospel never be something that is just tagged on to our experience, but instead let the gospel be something that is at the core of all that we do together. God, I pray that our kids would grow up in a place knowing who God is, knowing that Jesus Christ is alive, knowing that he hasn't died, knowing that he rules and that he reigns, knowing that he's able to do all things, knowing that he's able to do measurably more than we can ask or imagine. Knowing that he can um, fix operations when they're due to come. Knowing that he can provide for us in the future. Knowing that he'll never leave us or forsake us. Knowing that when we're scared that we can trust in God completely. That when we're full of fear that we know that God is for us and not against us. God, I pray our kids, I pray that our kids in this room would understand the truth of the gospel by the way that we live our lives. God, I pray that society would be blessed. I pray that Seaford would be blessed as a result of this community here. As Christians, teaching diligently the lives they find around them. God, I pray that you would bless this town. God, I thank you that the good news of the gospel cannot be silenced. God, I thank you that as much as people would say that Christian worldview is being silenced in, in the workplace, is being silenced within our schools, I thank you that the truth of the gospel is like thunder that rolls out. That it will always be heard that the truth of who Jesus is and all that he has done will be heard from generation to generation. God, we pray that kids, not just in this room now, but kids into the future, kids that are in the womb right right now will be blessed as a result of the good news of the gospel. Jesus, you are so worthy of our praise. We thank you that you love us and we love you with all of our hearts, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.